Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon, everyone. If you are listening, my name is uh, Ben Felder. I'm a state government reporter with the Oklahoman, and welcome to this uh, first Twitter Spaces. Uh, this is the first in a weekly series um, that we are going to do throughout this election season to try to help you get a better handle of what to expect on the November ballot, both the candidates uh, and the uh, specific storylines that we're going to be following here at the Oklahoman. Um, this week, uh, we're going to be setting up what those important storylines and races are that you should be watching for. And by we, I mean myself and Carmen Foreman, the Oklahoman's state capital reporter. Uh, Carmen, are you there? Yes, I'm trying to get the hang of this uh, first. Okay. This is my first Twitter space, so I'm excited. Same here. So hopefully this is working. So far, it seems uh, pretty straightforward and easy enough. Uh, the good thing about Twitter spaces, um, at least for those of you who are listening live, is that it gives you a chance to interact. And if you have any questions that you'd like to ask, feel free to tweet them at us. Um, there is actually an option on here. Uh, I'm not a Twitter Spaces pro by any means, but there's an option here to request to speak. Um, if you have a, a question, a, a civil and smart question um, <laughs> at some point during this conversation, um, we'll go ahead and try this. If you want to go ahead and request, uh, we'll see how that works out. And we'll go ahead and uh, maybe try to take a few listener questions as well. Um, but Carmen, hey, we are 63 days away from the general election on November 8th. Did you know that? 63 days. Wow. It's only, it's like you're counting or something. I, I counted it up yesterday. And so it's, uh, you know, because Labor, Labor Day holiday that we just finished up, it's kind of like the unofficial start uh, to to the election season. And obviously for, for you and myself and probably many of our listeners, I mean, they've already been in election mode. We've had primaries earlier this summer. Um, you know, many of the candidates, especially for the statewide races, and governor have all, have been announced for, I mean, obviously we knew the incumbent governor Stitt was going to run for re-election, but uh, Joy Hoffmeister announced last year, so did several other candidates. So we've been in election mode for quite some time, but this is really the time where I think, I, I don't know, for lack of a better term, your average, you know, Oklahoma is probably now starting to pay attention. And it's probably because they don't have a choice. We're going to start to see more television commercials. We're going to start to see more yard signs uh, in their neighborhood. And so this is the time when people really start to think about the fact that there is an election coming up uh, in just a couple of months, in just uh, 63 days. Um, So, Carmen, I wanted to spend some time today talking about specifically the race for governor. Obviously, that's going to be at the top of the ticket. That's going to be what a lot of people are focused on. Uh, Governor Kevin Stitt is seeking re-election after his first term. And as a Republican on the ballot, there's no doubt that he's the strong favorite. Uh, polls show that. History shows that. Uh, but I want to start with this question for you. What do you think it's going to take for this race to tighten? More specifically, what issues do you think could give voters pause in supporting Stitt for re-election in November? Yeah, I was trying to think about this earlier. And I think there are a few key topics. And then there are maybe a lot of little things that could turn some voters off from Governor Stitt. Um, I, for the key topics that that might turn off more voters is 
I was thinking about the school choice issue. Um, If you are a voter who is an adamant public school supporter um, and you don't like the idea of expanded school choice, I mean, Governor Stitt has promised that, you know, he wants to expand school choice. He wants to have money follow the students. So that could easily, you know, that could turn some people off from Governor Stitt. Um, I think we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but um, the abortion issue, um, Governor Stitt has uh, signed a couple of very restrictive abortion laws just this year and more in previous years. Um, and with the fall of Roe v. Wade, who, who knows how that could sway um, some opinions here in Oklahoma. Um, but as for, you know, then there's some smaller issues, too. You know, I wonder, there are obviously some voters down in Norman that aren't too happy about the turnpike expansion plan. Um, some Republicans, some moderates that have said that, you know, they can't support Stitt because he supports that ac- access expansion plan. Um, and then there's just like a few other things that I would make mention of. Uh, there's been a few, I guess, I don't want to call them scandals, but maybe they are scandals. There have been some noteworthy events in this past year that have gotten a lot of public attention. I'm, I'm thinking of Swadley's. I'm thinking of, you know, sort of what happened at the commissioners, the land office and Governor Stitt's opponent certainly seems to be playing up a lot of those issues. And, you know, that could be of concern to some voters that um, they've seen some of some things go wrong in the state administration and maybe they don't want to give another chance for another four years. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I understand your resistance to call it scandals. I think as journalists, we don't necessarily want to attach sometimes those label, labels, but they are they are kind of scandalous news stories. I guess the question is how much are they connected to the governor? And I think we'll kind of get into that here here a little bit. You know, you bring up school choice. I mean, that's obviously something that Hoffmeister is trying to make kind of a, a core part of her campaign. That, As you said, the governor has said he will sign you know, any school choice legislation that comes across his desk, he kind of has this uh, side note, he kind of has this history of saying, I will sign any legislation related to this. I think we've seen that with uh, anti-abortion. We've seen that with firearms. Um, and we're seeing it here with, with school vouchers. Now, Hoffmeister is obviously a an outspoken opponent of, of school vouchers, the use of, of uh, individuals being able to use uh, taxpayer dollars to fund private school tuition. Um, but I want to talk a little bit more about schools. I think I think you're right. I think vouchers is a core issue. You know, something that I hear from a lot of people, especially Stitt supporters, I want to make that very clear. I'm talking about kind of his base, is a lot of them, especially in kind of rural Oklahoma, um, and I've had this conversation with maybe a couple dozen voters uh, that kind of fit this criteria. Um, COVID is still top of mind for them. Um, they remember what it was like uh, a couple of years ago when there were arguments about closing down uh, school buildings or businesses. And many parts of rural Oklahoma, this wasn't as relevant. They didn't see the need to close down. They were you know, against school closures or school building closures. And they really have seen Stitt as the guy that kept it open. And he's, he's kind of made Hoffmeister the face of trying to close schools. Now, we can, we can talk about kind of the logistics and the nuances of that. I don't think that narrative is, is quite that simple. Um, but I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about COVID in that, in that context. And, you know, we just had this global pandemic just a couple of years. I'm curious, have, have you heard this come up? I know you've been on the trail in recent weeks a little bit. I mean, what have you heard from voters, if anything, related to the pandemic and just kind of the governor's response? Um, I honestly haven't heard that much as of late, but I've been wondering the same thing about like how much 
the COVID pandemic will, will play a role in this year's elections. And I've been thinking about it more and more because I've seen Irving Yen signs popping up in my neighborhood. And Irving Yen, of course, is a doctor. He's running a former Republican state senator. He's running as an independent for governor. But his main thing has been talking about how um, he believes Governor Sitt totally mismanaged the COVID pandemic and um, should have implemented a mask mandate. Now, now Joy Hoffmeister has kind of backed off of talking about the pandemic as much. And I, I guess to some extent, I wonder if that means it's less top of mind for voters. That's true. And I think Hoffmeister kind of made a, a name for herself as an opponent of Stitt, even before she announced her candidacy for governor as being, you know, she was advocating for mask mandates and she was uh, advocating maybe for a, a safer return to learn. I mean, she was at least giving, um, you know, not through her power, but she was at least for her voice, giving schools kind of this uh, permission Permission is not the right word, but this kind of permission to, uh, you know, return to school at their own pace, you know, especially for some of the larger districts that, you know, Stitt was criticizing for still having their school buildings closed. I guess another reason why I'm thinking of COVID is, you know, political, I'm sure you saw this uh, yesterday, political Twitter was a lot of attention was to this new uh, uh, Governor DeSantis commercial in Florida. I don't know, people were having their opinions on whether this was a well done commercial, but it was all about COVID. It was all about uh, Governor DeSantis in Florida, keeping Florida open. And just as a neutral observer, I mean, I kind of see why it got a lot of attention because it showed a lot of just kind of average everyday citizens, teachers, firefighters, whatever, you know, kind of saying, you know, thanks for keeping the state open. And I just think, I, maybe I'm just thinking about this because I think in Oklahoma City and kind of our little bubble here, we kind of forget the fact that the closures were deeply unpopular across in, in many other parts of the state. And I wonder if at some point that's going to be you know, kind of a major hook for the governor to go around and saying, I, I kept the, the state open when Hoffmeister wanted to close it. Now, whether or not that's accurate or not, but he's, he's definitely presenting her as the face of that. Yeah, well, and it's interesting, too, because he did sort if I if memory serves me correctly, Governor Stitt did sort of close the state for a while. It was very brief. And there were a lot of exceptions, but he did sort of close the state. And I know that we saw this year in like the Oklahoma City mayor's race and in the GOP gubernatorial primaries that say like Mark Sherwood was he was criticizing the governor for ever having shut down any of the businesses in the state for even a moment. And granted, our shutdown maybe lasted two or three weeks. And Governor Stitt has constantly said, you know, we were the first state to reopen. Um but granted, when you get around to the general election, it's not like there's a further right candidate in the race where you can say, oh, I'm kind of mad Governor Stitt shut down businesses for a few weeks at the start of the COVID pandemic. So I'll vote for somebody who would never do that. No, you don't really have an option for that, because I don't think there's anyone further to the right of Stitt in the race. Yeah, no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah, Hoffmeister's definitely not going to run as, uh, you know, I'm the, you know, Stitt tried to close down your businesses and schools uh, you know, I think that would be a tough, a tough lane for her to take. So, okay, I, I mentioned, I mentioned commercials in Florida. Let's talk about political commercials here in Oklahoma. So, Hoffmeister released her first cam campaign ad uh, last month, a few weeks ago. Um, Stitt released his first, I think it's his first general election commercial this week. Uh, you know, to me, the striking thing is that in Hoffmeister's commercial, um, she's really presented herself as this moderate. You know, the former Republican who turned Democrat to run in this race. Um, she had Republicans in the commercial that were talking about voting over voting for the person over party. Um, 
while Stitt's first ad did not mention Hoffmeister at all, in fact, it, men it mentioned President Biden, it, it was almost as if Hoffmeister is running against Stitt. You know, Stitt is kind of running against Biden, at least at this point. What did you think of those initial ads? What do you think they tell us, if anything, about their campaigns? I mean, I think we already knew this, but I think it, it makes it clear that Stitt is running from the position of power. He has the advantage in the race and he doesn't have to mention Hoffmeister. At least his campaign feels that they don't. Um, and I guess, you know, to some degree, why would you give your opponent more name recognition by mentioning them in your ads? And the more he can do to link Joy Hoffmeister to Joe Biden and any perceived uh, policy failures of the Biden administration, I think he thinks that is a winning strategy to to win the Republican base here in Oklahoma. And he thinks that would probably be enough to put him over. Um, I think it's very clear that Governor Stitt doesn't, doesn't feel like he needs to get a lot of moderates, a lot of independents to win. He just needs the Republican base to really turn out hard for him to win. Whereas Joy Hoffmeister has got to get every vote every vote possible, right? And she is catering, she's presenting herself as this moderate so she can try to capture votes from all, all sides of the political aisle. Yeah, I mean, my first reaction to that ad was, um, well, maybe he's gonna find it tough to try to compare Hoffmeister to Biden because of her you know, past as Republican and she's running as a moderate. But then I thought, well, that's, that's not it because I mean, Republicans were calling other Republicans you know, part of the radical left during the primaries. I mean, so there's, there's nothing that stops someone from, you know, a conservative from saying their opponent is uh, is a radical leftist and is in, you know, is, is in lockstep with uh, the current Democratic president. I don't think, I don't think they would present that ad to Stitt that would say, well, she's actually a modern. I don't think it's fair to present, to connect, connect her to Biden. But, you know, I, I watched the ad and then I was thinking about it um, a little bit later. And I said, you know, it's kind of a, an upbeat ad. And then I thought, well, that's not right. Because I remembered there were, I mean, there were like, I don't know if there was an actual burning dumpster in the, in the ad, but there was fires in the streets and there was some depictions of riots. And then I watched it again and I was kind of like, it's, it's kind of like the most upbeat dark ad I've seen. Does that make sense? I don't know. Maybe I'm off on this, but he was, you know, talking about the, uh, you know, it was this depiction of like the rest of the country's on fire because of Democrats. I'm the only thing that's keeping Oklahoma, um, from being part of that. I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, it definitely seemed like he was hinting at, you know, nationwide dumpster fire under Joe Biden, which is, you know, maybe his opinion, not my opinion, but um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely seems like governor Stitt and, and also to some degree, you know, Ryan Walters only mentioning him because he is so closely tied with governor Stitt. They seem like they're trying really hard to kind of, to kind of nationalize their races, um, whereas maybe their opponents are trying to focus more on local issues and what's going on here in Oklahoma. Yeah, you know, I I made that the comment I made earlier, and I tweeted that you know Hoffmeister is running against Stitz, Stitz running against Biden, and then people were like, well, Walters is running against Hoffmeister. Um, I guess Nelson is running against Walters. I don't know who's running against Nelson then, but um, how? You talk about Walters, Ryan Walters, this current secretary of education. He's running for state superintendent. He really is kind of running against Hoffmeister. And I, I mean, I want to keep the focus on the governor's race. But as you said, he is kind of running as this kind of, uh, you know, proxy of, of Stitt. Um, is in a way, do you feel like, you know, maybe right now Walters is the one that's doing the dirty work of attacking Hoffmeister? 
you know, Governor Stitt's kind of allowing him to do that. I just, I mean, do you think there'll be any kind of impact in the governor's race or what was what we're seeing in the state superintendent race, which we could make a whole other episode about, and we will in a future week. But, but what's kind of your take on on how Walters is running his campaign right now and its its impact on the governor's race, if any? I mean, absolutely. I think exactly what you said that. <laughs> Not, not that like Governor Stitt, I don't imagine that Governor Stitt and Ryan Walters have sat down and like had a whole conversation about, well, you should attack Joy Hoffmeister and I'm just not even going to mention her. No, I don't think that's what's going on. You know, you're probably, you're probably right. Maybe they have had that discussion. Um, I just think uh, Secretary Walters, he sees that as his perhaps easiest path to victory, that he can... Uh, say how terrible he thinks our current education system is lay the blame on that for joy uh, lay the blame for that on joy hoffmeister and then pitch his new vision which is a greater school choice and he sees that as his path to victory perhaps yeah no i think that's i think that's a good point um well just a reminder if you're out there listening and if you're caught us late we're going to post this i mean Twitter spaces will be will be saved for you to listen to its entirety later. But we're also going to put this into the Oklahoma's political state feed um, for those of you who might be catching this late. But um, talking about the governor's race, you mentioned earlier about the impact of, of abortion rights in this race. And it's obviously a big theme in races all across the country. Um, as the end of Roe v. Wade was seen as a major shakeup to the 22 election cycle, uh, it's believed by some that Democrats are seeing some momentum because the Supreme Court ended a woman's constitutional right to abortion. But, um, Carmen, I want to throw out two stats that I think are kind of interesting when we think about the possible impact in Oklahoma. You know, so first, you know, many of us remember the recent Kansas ballot question in which voters there upheld a woman's right to abortion access uh, by pretty wide margin, a pretty surprising margin when we when we took a look at what we thought was going to happen in Kansas. And an analysis by the New York Times, they used voter demographic data and found that if a similar ballot question were asked in every state, it's likely most would have followed Kansas's lead. However, Oklahoma was one of a handful of states where that did not appear to be the case. Now, to be fair, I think it, it projected that that question would have failed by like a point or two. So it was still pretty close, but Oklahoma is one of those states where it wouldn't have, it wouldn't have passed. Um, but the next stat that interests me is that Oklahoma has seen the fifth highest increase in women registering to vote after the fall of Roe, which would indicate abortion rights are on the minds of, of many voters. So, you know, all that said, how do you think the fall of, of Roe is going to impact the elections here in Oklahoma? I think I think it's going to be really interesting to watch. And I, I, I would say I wouldn't put money down either way. Um, I think there will be, you know, more women voting with abortion rights and abortion access in mind this fall. But whether it's enough in a deeply conservative state to make a difference is hard to tell. And I, I think it's really interesting um, if you look at the top of the ticket and, and how some women are running on the abortion rights issue. Um, Kendra Horn, who's running for the U.S. Senate against Mark Wayne Mullen, um, has been very full-throated, um, very uh, a huge advocate for abortion access. She's talking it on the camp about it on the campaign trail constantly. She was loud and proud about the Kansas ruling and how that turned out, how voters in Kansas voted. Um, and so I thought that's been really interesting. But then you con contrast that with Joy Hoffmeister, who has has changed her opinion a little bit on abortion access, 
but has not been talking about the issue as much. And granted, I'm not on the campaign trail with Joy Hoffmeister every day or even every week. So, you know, I'm sure she is talking about it, um, but she's not quite as vocal about it as Kendra Horn is. So, you know, which which strategy works? I don't know, because if you're trying to appeal to moderates and voters across the spectrum, maybe taking the more middle ground approach is the way to go. Yeah, possibly. Although if you're trying to excite kind of a base, I mean, that kind of moderate approach can can sometimes be limiting. Now, I now we know there's some things we know about where Hoffmeister stands on abortion access and some things we don't. We know that at least based on what she has said recently is that she would not have, uh, you know, signed the recent uh, anti-abortion laws that went into effect this year that Governor Stitt signed. Um Correct me if I'm wrong, I don't think we've heard her say an exact week of where she would put the cutoff at, on when she would, where she would be willing to, to cut off abortion access. Um, she has described herself as personally uh, anti-abortion, um, but has said that she feels like it's a decision to leave up between a woman and her doctor. And that's kind of been the, the standard. She, she hasn't been a Democrat long but she, in Oklahoma, but she's she's got that line down. I mean, a lot of Democrats that have run for statewide office have said that that they're you know personally against abortion, but are you know open to abortion access. Um, I wonder though if she can build up a base of support with some voters who feel like abortion is on the ballot, uh, you know, even though it's directly not. If simply because of how Stitt has approached the issue by saying, we know exactly where he stands because like we said earlier, he has said he'll sign every anti-abortion measure that comes across his desk. I wonder if he's kind of doing the motivating factor for her or does she still need to be more, more forceful on this? I will say this, what is her slogan? Her slogan is choose joy, right? I mean, I, that, that seems like a, an obvious nod to pro-choice. And if it's not, if it was just a coincidence, um, that's probably something they at least should have thought of, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe should have thought of that. I didn't, uh, I will say I didn't make any connection to that in my mind. So maybe you're just two steps ahead of all of us. Well, I'm not saying that they are, I, I, I have no knowledge of that. I just, I see the signs that say choose joy. And I just, you know, I guess when you're we're reading about uh, abortion politics for so long, you just kind of naturally, that's kind of where, where your mind goes. Um, so we talked about schools. We talked about uh, abortion access. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier just kind of these small issues, not small issues. I mean, they're big issues to you, but like a turnpike expansion. If you're at risk of losing your house, of course, that's a very big, a very big issue to you. But I want to circle back as we wrap up here to one other thing you said is this, I, this idea of trying to tie Stitt to some of these quote unquote scandals that have happened in state government and, and different parts of his administration. I mean, he, he saw a lot of attack ads in the primary race. Um, so it stands a reason that he's, that we're going to probably see a wave of those similar ads in the general, right? Yeah, I would expect so. I'm honestly kind of surprised they haven't started yet, or maybe they have, and I'm just not watching enough TV. Well, I will tell you that's, I don't think, I don't know if that's my problem, but as a reporter who covers politics, the, the fact that I don't watch a lot of network television can sometimes be a challenge because you don't see these, you don't see these ads quite as much as other people, but um, yes, I would expect that we're going to see, you know, some of those ads from those dark money groups you know, coming in here, uh, you know, fairly soon. Well, uh, Carmen, we're going to wrap up this, uh, this first week of a tour space. So we just kind of wanted to set the table a little bit on the governor's race. Um, 
we're going to have uh, an episode every week. Uh, we're going to have guests. Um, we're going to have guests from representing both political parties and representing different races and talking to some of our other colleagues here at the Oklahoma and to get into some of the very specifics. Um, before I let you go, anything else uh, that you're kind of watching right now on the on the political and election scene in the next week or two? Not that I can think of, but you'll have to forgive me because I have an upcoming vacation on my mind. So that's more what I'm thinking about. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll rest up before uh, before the elections truly get underway. Uh, they're, they're, they're already ramped up and already underway, but uh, uh, we'll start to become um, uh, more visible across the state in the weeks to come. So, well, that's going to do it for this first installment of the Oklahomans Weekly Twitter Spaces on the 2022 election. Uh, again, if you didn't catch all of this conversation, um, you can find a recording after we end and also on the Oklahomans Political State podcast feed to search for Political State. Uh, hey, next week, I'm going to be joined by Molly Young, the Oklahomans Indigenous Affairs reporter, who is going to discuss the importance of the Native vote in this year, this year in Oklahoma. Uh, tribal affairs have been a consistent storyline during the state administration, and uh, Molly is going to help us unpack what some tribal citizens are looking at this election season. So for the Oklahoman, I'm Ben Felder, joined this week by Carmen Foreman. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next Wednesday. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.